This kind of election was not a vote for change. It was rather, in my reading, a vote for continuity in the guise of change. Yeah? And there's every possibility and some indication already that we might well end up with another grant, a coalition. The bridges that, which are to be built between the Free Democrats and the Greens, for example, they are immense. That's the voice of a person who formed a good amount of the way that I assess ideas critically. It's the voice of an old German professor from my undergrad degree, Heiko Feldner. Heiko is a middle-aged guy, but carries himself with the wisdom of a much older person. He's got a real gentle manner about him. Now, once when I was living in Berlin, he came to meet me uh, while he was in town on business. I was standing in Alexanderplatz, the site of one of the final and biggest demonstrations against the Berlin Wall, and he emerged from the U-Bahn looking like Karl Marx with a huge beard smoking a tiny cigarette. And we went to a cafe where he asked what I might like to do when I finished university. And I told him I'd written a novel. And he asked me for the synopsis of the novel. And when I told him, as he said to every idea anyone ever shared with him, he said, yes, yes, this is good. Develop this further. Now, I've often heard that voice in my head when working on a project. Develop this idea further. Almost everyone has a person like that in their life, whose voice they hear when they're struggling with something. Some memory of a teacher, or a parent, or a mentor. And it helps them finish that work. And I know that for many people in SaaS marketing, the voice sounds like this. Letter to a new startup CMO. Dear new startup CMO, congrats on the new gig. You're probably excited, proud, and if you're anything like I was, having an intense, oh shit moment when you realize the gravity of what you're now responsible for. You're also probably looking for a playbook to follow to ensure your success. I'll deliver the worst news first. That playbook doesn't exist. You'll have to make thousands of decisions a month and no existing playbook can tell you how to make all of them. But it's not all bad news because at CMO, you get to write your own playbook and you'll get thousands of chances a month to learn, improve, and even when things go wrong, correct them. That voice is Len Markadan, CMO of Podia, a platform for creators. Now, almost everyone I speak to in B2B SaaS growth has at some point asked me, hey, do you know Len? He's a great guy. Now, in this episode, you'll learn why Podia has 67x since 2017 and why helping people out is the best growth strategy. Oh, yeah, and why everyone loves Len. I'm Mark Thomas, and this is Inflection Point. I first met Len when I was considering a change in my career at the end of 2019. I'd been following his work from the time that Groove launched its content marketing strategy. That was sometime between 2012 and 2017 that he was there. But it was the open letter and you heard a portion of it just a minute ago, that caused me to eventually say, hey, I wanted to ask him why he wrote that letter. 
I have been getting emails. I think just like every marketer who or, or any professional who has a career and, and moves up in their role and, and takes on you know, new challenges, uh, generally start to hear from people who are at the rung that you were at last or the rung you were at you know, two, three, four, five rungs ago and asking for advice and, and what you wish you'd known. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of, um, it, it's a bit tricky really, because there are people who told me the same things when I was younger and I still had to go through kind of painful learning processes to, to, to learn some of these things. But, uh, ultimately there are a lot of people I talk to who seem a lot smarter than I was at that age. And so uh, my hope and my thinking behind the letter was to take the questions that I, I heard most commonly and, and the ones that just seemed to most viscerally bother and, and, and traumatize people uh, in, their, in, their first, uh, mar- in, in their first marketing leadership role and turn it into something that I can link to and turn it into something that hopefully uh, helps the people who would come to me with those questions and also think helps it would help the people that would uh would not feel comfortable reaching out and asking for help uh, and so that's that that's that's the hope the hope is that it's it 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 shortcuts some painful learnings for for a few first time marketing leaders they think the imposter syndrome never goes away <laughs> uh there there uh certainly there's a lot of uh there, there's a lot of why, why are you asking me? I'm not the person. Like I was, I was struggling through the same thing you're struggling through now. And I didn't feel very comfortable with it either. And that's just kind of the process. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's extremely gratifying. And certainly I remember looking for people to ask for advice who were a few steps ahead of where I was at the time and being extremely grateful that they would take the time to, to, to chat with me. And so it feels like bit of a sacred responsibility as you as you move up in in your role. Len has been around in SaaS marketing for longer than most people have known what SaaS marketing is. And to sustain a career like that, you have to have some kind of driver, right? I would say that I've had different drivers at different points in my career. Uh, there have been different things that have motivated me uh, today uh, at Podia and what I do every day here I do because it gets a product that has the potential to transform lives into more people's hands. And I'm not so holy as to say I do it for free, but as far as jobs go, there's a lot of gratification in in seeing emails every day from people who have made their first ever online dollar or from people who have had their first ever 1K month or 100K year and left their jobs. Uh, That's extremely motivating to me. And on the marketing and leadership side it's also extremely gratifying at this point to be able to be building a team that uh, frankly are a lot more talented than i was at, at, at their age and their stage in their career and uh to, to see them thrive and to you know be the be the machete as they they trudge through this jungle of figuring out marketing and growth i love that analogy Marketing a product can sometimes feel like trudging through a jungle, and there's always a lot of, air quotes, figuring it out. But now there's so much information out there on how to run a marketing organization for a SaaS company. (coughs) Powered by search.com forward slash blog. (coughs) But that wasn't always the case. No, in fact, 
When Len was working on the strategy for content at Groove, a customer help desk product, it was very much like building an airplane while jumping off a cliff. Oh, and there was no manual included. It was an extremely intense training ground and probably the best training ground I can imagine as a, as a content marketer. Uh, we were in the unenviable position of having to figure out how to keep the company alive. And we had content. We had a lot of the content that people who sort of felt like they needed to check the content box were doing. We had a lot of articles. I think our blog at the time was hosted on Tumblr and we had a lot of articles around you know, 10 reasons you should try Groove and uh, all the, the other kinds of stuff that nobody actually wants to read. And the company had at the time four or five months of cash left in the bank and we had to figure out how to survive. And all we really knew was content and we didn't really know it that, that well yet. And it was my first experience with content marketing as a marketing function that actually has a a lead commit and a revenue requirement. Uh, and it was also my first intense experience in the generosity and uh, helpfulness of people who are a few rungs in the ladder above you. That comes back to the question you asked about how I feel about being able to give advice now. Uh, we were in a pretty desperate position and, and reached out to a lot of really successful people in the time, uh, people at the time who were really successful with content. Uh, you know, at this, at this time, uh, I think more, I think, I think the OG content folks will remember, you know, we were looking at the Kiss Metrics blog and the Unbounce blog and, uh, you know, the HubSpot blog and reaching out to the people who ran those blogs and people like, you know, Heaton Shaw and Darmesh and, uh, and, 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 um, and Ollie at, uh, at Unbounce and asking, Hey, can we chat? Can we just, can we have 30 minutes of your time? Can we have an hour of your time? We, we, here's everything we've been trying to do. Here are the results we're getting. We're a little desperate. Give us a hand. And I was floored by the number of extremely busy people who replied and said, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, let's chat, book a time. Um, they were extremely generous with their time and we learned a lot and, and, and I learned a lot in those, those weeks where we were doing that research and really understanding how important it is for content to solve a real problem for people, how important it was for content to speak directly to an audience, uh, how important it was to understand needs and pains and hopes and desires and fears uh, more than being able to you know, just understand the role that your content plays in your business. We spent a lot of time brainstorming and a lot of time talking to customers and realizing that, you know, with three months to live, you're not going to, you're not going to overcome the swath of customer support related content out there. Uh, cause it's an extremely, uh, crowded field. It was, it was, it was an extremely crowded field, even at the time. Uh, and so we were thinking, you know, we got to thinking, Hey, how can we actually make an impact in a way that serves the business interest, but also creates a lot of value for, for the audience and, and enough value that they may, may be willing to consider buying Groove. What he's describing here is a pretty classic content strategy problem. How do you compete when there's so much stuff available? 
Groove wasn't the only one producing content on the topic of customer support. And if you're not the only one doing that kind of content, then you are competing with others for search rankings. It's hard to win when you're an underdog. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to speak to customer pain points. We ended up learning in a lot of conversations with customers that many of our customers and many of the uh, people we were selling to were entrepreneurs too. They were, they were running small businesses. And we learned that a lot of the things that kept them up at night were not customer service issues. They were the same things that were keeping us at night. Operations, cash flow, sales, uh, conversion optimization, marketing, all these things that you know can, you know, every single business has to deal with and every single business has to fight through. Uh, but the best you get on Lauren is, is kind of expert platitudes around, oh yeah, you know, sales and marketing have to cooperate. And, uh, you know, here, here are 10 ways you can you know, turbocharge your marketing. And nobody was really talking about it in a way that felt real and authentic. And that's what ended up inspiring the, the, the blog that we had, which was, hey, we're going through these same challenges that our customers are. Why don't we start talking about it? Why don't we start talking about it from a place of authenticity and a place of transparency and posting our actual numbers, which nobody, you know, very few people were willing to do at the time. We um, ended up launching a blog called uh, A Startup's Journey to $100,000 in Monthly Recurring Revenue. We were at 28K in MRR at the time. Within 24 hours of launching, we had 1,000 email subscribers. Within a week, we had 5,000. Uh, then the leads started coming and the sales started coming. And uh, I think soon enough, within a couple of years, we had to pivot the blog or, or evolve the blog from a journey to 100K monthly revenue to a journey to 500K monthly revenue. And uh, it's, been, yeah, it's been growing ever since. And it was, you know, we, we were at the point where content was driving 80 plus percent of our, of our new leads. We've certainly taken quite a lot uh, taking quite a lot of inspiration from from some of those days it's 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 certainly a different angle just because the market's different and also you know i think many 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 companies have tried to replicate what groove did with the blog just like many companies have tried to replicate what humspot does with their blog and what buffer does with their blog and what unbounce and kissmetrics did with their blogs and um you know carbon copies just don't work uh, content marketing hasn't gone away since it got here. Content marketing's been around. People think of it as, as this newish thing. Content marketing's been around for over a hundred years. I'm happy to talk about that. But uh, the reality is it, it, it evolves, it changes. And the playbook that worked 10 years ago absolutely will not work today. After leaving Groove, Len joined Podia, or as it was called at the time, Coach. I joined in the middle of uh, a rebrand, a name change. The company was called Coach. Before I joined, uh, I was actually a customer of Coach uh, when we um, launched some courses, at, some content marketing courses at Groove, and I was out looking for a course platform, and nothing really came close. And so I, I, I used became a, cust a paying customer of Coach, and then ultimately, ultimately loved it so much and, and joined the team. And we were in the middle of that rebrand to Podia because you're not going to compete on SEO with the biggest handbag brand in the world. And we, uh, we were in the middle of a big product shift as well, because what had previously been a platform for courses and digital downloads was now going to be a platform for courses, digital downloads, membership sites, email marketing, um, really leaning into 
being the all-in-one creator stack in one place versus being kind of a point solution that plays a, a singular role in a creator's uh, in a creator's uh, stack. And so it was a pretty drastic evolution and 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 uh, a pretty drastic stick in the ground as to what Podia's differentiation, what Podia's uh, vision for for the company was going to be. But the company was extremely small at the time. I was, uh, I think, the fifth person uh, to uh, to join. I believe, May have, yeah, the fifth person, uh, and it was you know a few developers, a designer, and 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 their CEO. And the job was kind of, hey, we've got a lot to figure out. Let's get started. Now, one thing that I've loved over the last series of Inflection Point is talking to people who describe their work like this. They solve a problem, and then they take what they've learned distill the big ideas, and apply them to the next problem that comes up. A good example of this is in episode two of this series with Pete Caputa from Databox, who has often delivered alternative-style business models from the same principles and engineered solutions each time to make those work. Now for Len, that was the feeling of an almost standing start. At Groove, he had to work out how to stand out. And at Podia... He took what he learned at Groove, that content has to be genuinely helpful to the customer, and began to apply it to Podia's work. But before we dive in on that, let's just talk a little bit about how you prioritize marketing strategy when everything is on the table. It's never a linear motion. I, it's, of course, fun, scary, chaotic, but at the same time, every marketing leader's challenge no matter what stage you're in, is prioritization. There are always a million things you can do. And the more mature your marketing operation is, the more data you have and the more uh, precedent you have to help you narrow some of those options. But when you go from wide to narrow, you generally also go deeper. So they're like, you're you know you want to do content marketing and affiliate marketing. Well, great. Those were just two of the hundred options you had before, but now those are the only two options. But now you have a hundred options within content marketing within affiliate marketing of how you can you know, double and triple and quadruple down into those channels. And so prioritization is never not a challenge for, for marketing leadership. Uh, and the early stages just meant that the, cha- the prioritization challenge was extremely wide versus extremely uh, deep. And that's... Uh, that's a really, I do find that a really fun place to be. I think it's, it's uh, you know, very much this kind of blue ocean stage where you're tinkering and you're, you're, you're tinkering, but it's not, you know, it's tinkering with a goal and tinkering with a purpose and tinkering with, uh, with some pretty high stakes. I think any marketing leader who comes in is going to bring what they're best at and what their experience is in. Uh, and so... You know, if the first marketing hire at Podia was was a dyed in the wool partnerships marketer or a, a, a performance marketer, then I think the the initial strategy would have looked quite different. But for for us and for me, I was you know, coming off of five very intense years of learning content marketing, and uh, that seemed like a good place to to start to not waste <laughs> everything I'd, I'd learned there. Uh, and then affiliate marketing was pretty uh, pretty natural for a pretty natural fit for podia because the it, it was an industry standard people were used to buying that way and also 
uh, it was a product that if you gave people, it was a product that people love to recommend. It was easy to recommend because it worked and because it solved a problem for people. And so creating an incentive for people to, to, to recommend it and to, uh, to share it was kind of a no brainer for us because a lot of the people who recommended Podia wouldn't, weren't necessarily customers. They couldn't be customers for whatever reason. Maybe they were not the right fit for Podia's, uh, for Podia's product, but many people in their audience could probably get a lot of value from it. And so, uh, to create an incentive there for them, like they're not going to be interested in a couple free months of Podia. They're, they're going to want a commission. And so that, that made a lot of sense for us at the time. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Marketing Tactic Radio Hour, the show that keeps you deeply sated on marketing and tactics and radio hours. Tonight's guest is Len Markadan, talking about a referral strategy that has been called Pouring Fuel onto Fire. It's a product that people need and that 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 can truly do good for people and it's also an extremely generous uh commission so we pay 30 percent of lifetime revenue to the affiliate so if somebody joins and pays 79 bucks a month or 39 bucks a month or 179 bucks a month the affiliate is getting 30 percent of that uh in perpetuity so until that customer cancels and so um for somebody who can refer a few people that, and that, that revenue is going to compound over time. Hold the phone. 30% is a lot. One in $3 earned on the sale of a subscription through affiliate marketing goes directly to the affiliate in perpetuity. One thing that people get, get hung up on because we, when I talk about this with, with other marketers and say, Hey, you should, you should maybe consider this for your business. If your if your cost structure allows for it, uh, there's a little bit of shell shock at the 30%, but there's a good chance. And I think if you really know your, your kind of customer acquisition cost and then your customer LTVs, and, and there's a really good chance that you have customer segments where you're spending more than 30% of a customer's lifetime value to acquire that customer. And if you're doing that, then the affiliate program makes sense for you as long as you're not cannibalizing customers you would have otherwise gotten cheaper. Okay, so the economics checks out. But what's the result? We have, we have some affiliates that are earning extremely healthy incomes uh, purely through, uh, through referring Podia. Uh, and the, you know, the, I think the product does a lot of the heavy lifting there where once somebody gets on the product and they can make their first sale, we pretty much know they're not going to leave. Um, it's, it's been something we launched into the, in early 2018 and, and have run with pretty minimal management, uh, until, until just recently. And it's, it's still grown 400% in two years, uh, the revenue that we're getting from the affiliate program. And, and that's been, uh, really astonishing to see. And, and I think a good indicator that, Hey, we should, we should do some more stuff here. So let's get back to the uh, main thread here. Let's say that you started a new marketing leadership role and the strategy brief is 
Well, it's blank. What do you do? I knew when I joined that we were going to be investing in content. I think we should have to figure out what that content would look like. And what I realized when I started Apodia and did you know, 30 customer interviews and, and surveys and really tried to figure out what, what people were struggling with and what people were thinking about and what people were scared of and what people aspired to is that people purchase Podia like it's B2C software, even though we're, we're B2B software. Right? People purchase Podia extremely emotionally um, and they're, they're taking a big bet on themselves. And it's a product that people really tie their livelihood and their identity into. And that creates a pretty important responsibility, right? There, people are starting out as creators. It is an extremely scary thing to do. You are taking a massive bet on yourself and putting yourself out there to the world and saying, hey, I have some passion. I have some expertise and I think it's worth something. And I want people to pay me for it because I think that I can sustain myself with, with what's, in my, what's in my head and my heart. And that is scary. That is, uh, I would say, terrifying for a lot of people. And it's also unknown. It's confusing. Most people are not, there's no career that really prepares you for it. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that most people who are doing it are, are doing it for the first time. And they're really try, they really have a lot to figure out. And so um, I think for us, the biggest driving factor in, in the content strategy was how do we make becoming a creator and taking on this thing not so scary? How do we make it feel like you really have somebody on your side? And that's been the, the crux of, of the content strategy is it feels like a magazine. And that, that's, that's kind of part of the, the manifestation of that is we want it to feel like you're not reading a health doc. You're not reading uh, you know, a, 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 a how-to guide. You are reading something that is uh, both informative and entertaining and makes you feel a connection to the writer. Did you notice that? Len barely talked at all about the actual execution. Of the 388 words in the last section, yes, I did count, Len used only 100 of them to talk about the output of Podia's marketing team. Instead, he focused on telling us about his customers' pain points. And I can tell you, as a Podia customer myself, Len's understanding of that is 100% accurate. It's this customer focus, not like the vague Amazon way of talking about customer focus, but on understanding the deep emotional worry of a person trying to teach what they do professionally that makes Podia's business grow well through marketing. Now, one interesting thing about Podia is that although they're a B2B SaaS, a lot of what they do feels like B2C. Why is that? That's a great question. And I'm not here to piss off any B2B marketers. Uh, but I will say <laughs> there are some amazing ones. And I, I come from that world and I, and I tremendous, tremendous respect for B2B marketers. And um, I, I would say that there are two key differences in Podia because Podia is technically a B2B product, right? We, we power businesses. Um, but the two key differences are the purchasing process and the cost of failure. And so the purchasing process, we are 
entirely self-serve. We serve a single stakeholder. Uh, there's no committee. There's no procurement. There's no discussion process where multiple people need to have their non-negotiable needs satisfied. Uh, the transaction is purely between Podia and the creator, and it's entirely self-serve. So there's no sales team. There's nobody to close every deal. We can't do one-on-one -on -one demos at our price point. Um, the marketing support and the product have to do 100% of the heavy lifting. So in that sense, I think it's much more aligned with how B2C brands acquire customers than B2B. Uh, and then the second difference is the cost of failure. Inherently with power businesses, they tend to be businesses of one or maybe a few people, but they're businesses and their goal is to make money. Uh, but for Podia and, and specifically for our customers, the businesses we power, the stakes are very different. A typical business buyer who purchases software that doesn't work for them, most of the time they will cancel, they will walk away, they will choose something else. Worst case, maybe they lose some face within the company and they have to work to win that back. But that's not at all the case for Podia customers. For example, recently I created a course based on my experiences of growing an early stage SaaS through marketing. I didn't have to get the buy-in of my boss. I was doing it for myself. But I'm clearly also not a consumer. I'm a business, man. Sorry, that's one for all the Jay-Z fans out there. Back to Len. A creator buying Podia is very different. Many people who sign up for Podia are not just, they're not buying a piece of software. They're, they're making a big bet on themselves. And they're making a bet that they can turn their passion, their knowledge into income. And if Podia fails them, they may never have the courage to try that again because they don't have a boss that says, hey, I hired you for a job that I know you can do. Now, quit feeling bad and get us a new CRM, right? And uh, no offense to CRMs. I think CRMs are amazing and, and make, make, uh, make a lot of businesses run far more smoothly. Uh, but most of Podia's customers are their own boss. And for many people, that's the toughest boss they've ever had. And so for creators signing up for Podia, there are absolutely you know, amazing things waiting for them on the other side of some strategically directed hard work. Uh, I truly believe that for every single person signing up for the product. But if something goes wrong and we can't help them become successful, that chance may not ever come again. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, we're a B2B company that has to operate like a B2C company because there is a consumer, a person whose livelihood is singularly impacted by what we do. And that's, that's a really, really important responsibility um, because of the outsized impact that we have on, on their lives and the lives of their families. And we take that really seriously. We saw a very, very new kind of creator emerge at that point where, you know, in the past we had had a lot of people who had come to us and said, Hey, I've, I've been thinking for a long time about how do I make a living online and how do I, um, you know, how do I turn this into, into a thing? And I've been noodling with this idea and I've been trying different things and I think I'm finally ready. Uh, and starting in early mid 2020, the people that were showing up at our door were, Hey, my business just got closed by the government yesterday and I need to figure out how to pay rent next month. Uh, can you help me? And I've never even considered doing this thing online. What we've seen a lot of is people who are yoga instructors, meditation coaches, personal trainers who have gone online, who have gone from being entirely in person to entirely online. And now some of them are partially online and we've gotten messages on our support queue that say, 
I'm not going back. I'm never going back because now I realize I can I can do this from my house. I don't have to commute 40 minutes to the studio. I don't have to um, you know pay rent. I, I I don't have this overhead, and I can I can just work on my terms. Remember in the intro, I talked about my German professor who would often tell me, yes, this is good. Develop this idea, Mark. Well, in the same way that I still hear his voice in my head, clearly, whenever I'm working on a project, I think that small businesses, many who were totally knocked off course by COVID, are going to be seeing the Podia logo in their minds for years to come. This only builds on the point that we made earlier in the episode about speaking to customer pain points. One example would be Jay Akunzo, who is a a marketer, podcaster, uh, speaker who who brought in a a really, really uh, major part of his income prior to the pandemic with speaking. He was booked solid on, on events and flying every week and uh, and, and speaking at, at all kinds of different uh, events and conferences and trainings. And overnight that disappears. And so he had to figure out, hey, how do I take this thing and do it online? And so he launched, he launched an online community and um, it was called uh, Unthinkable at the time. And, um, and it's now I think it's growable, it's growable shows. It shows he's a vault it and does live trainings and he does uh, self-paced courses and uh, has, has done really, really well in, in taking something that was a pretty desperate uh, question of how am I going to how am I going to replace that income and and turn it into something brand new and get and given birth to a, a completely new uh, livelihood. Imagine how empowering that is for creators to stop identifying as struggling or panicking about income, and to learn that people want to hear directly from you. You don't need a stage at all. What you need is a microphone and a computer and something meaningful to say. And that's it. Content marketing is not new. And so a lot of people say, hey, is content marketing over? Is content marketing, you know, has content marketing passed the fad? And the answer is no, it is not. But you can't replicate what worked 10 years ago, just like you can't replicate what worked 100 years ago. You have to really think about uh, your market. You have to think about your product, your company, your brand. Uh, and and how how your audience is actually looking to consume content, how your audience is looking to solve problems and thinking about these things, and um, and then they go from there. And so, you can absolutely learn amazing things from the stories of Groove and Buffer and HealthScout and and uh, and and uh, and uh, Unbalance and Kissmetrics and and all of these uh, kind of um, OG content companies. But you have to make it your own. You have to apply it to your unique situation. And that's going to be how you succeed in content in 2021. At the end of the day, what Len is describing here isn't new. And he's the first to say that. But understanding your customer, being helpful, encouraging them when they're struggling, that feels increasingly unusual. And if I could leave you with any message from this first series of Inflection Point, the thing that ties all episodes together, it would be this. Understanding your customers' problems and helping them solve them is the one and only constant way to ensure that you hit your inflection point. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the end.